circular economy, it just makes business sense. From a pure commercial background, it's a no-brainer. You know, I cannot imagine any commercial person saying, I don't see the opportunity in that. We see that the, the why, why we need sustainability, why we need to focus on that, is not the discussion anymore. The discussion is around the how. How do we make it happen? How do we make it relevant to our employees and to the wider um, community, our partners in the supply chain and so on? Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches make a better business and a better world. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting to those people making the circular economy happen. Rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. We'll find out how circular principles can create value, increase resilience and reduce risk to make a competitive, sustainable organisation. You'll find the show notes and links at www.circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and useful resources. Welcome to episode 35, and I'm recording this on Friday the 28th of August 2020. I'm nearly finished with the heavy lifting on proofreading the second edition of my Circular Economy Handbook, due out in November this year. I've just got a few days left before the deadline and other work is mounting up. I'm sorry I've not been blogging or sending out Circular Insights recently, but I've been spending quite a lot of time helping my parents after my mum had a full last month. At Rethink Global, we're pulling the final few things together for the launch of our new Circular Coaching Programme. And in this episode, we meet Sophie Siegel, who will be one of the coaches. We'll have the information up on the website soon. Look out for updates on rethinkglobal.info. When Sophie, Peter and I met up at the RSA in London, we discovered a surprising connection. The first time Sophie heard about the circular economy was through someone I've interviewed for the podcast, Andy Bounds of Ecobricks in Uganda, featured back in episode 23. Sophie uses games to engage people in sustainability and helps organisations with their purpose. I was curious to know more about why organisations are working on sustainability and building purposes beyond profit. We talked about what Sophie sees as the forces for change and the barriers for both business and citizens. Let's talk to Sophie. Today we're talking to Sophie Siegel. I first met Sophie last year after she asked me about how to set up a local group for the Circular Economy Club. Sophie went on to found the Reading chapter of the Circular Economy Club in the south of England, and we stayed in touch. I was fascinated by the way Sophie uses games to engage people in sustainability and encourages us to think differently, to think about the system that we're all part of. Sophie wears a few hats, including with Co-Create Impact, providing innovative social impact training, and Together Dragonflies, using value creation and innovation to shape new customer experiences. She helps organisations with their purpose to design value propositions and customer experiences that resonate. She's also bringing people together in her community to amplify, amplify local circular economy initiatives. Sophie says she's curious by nature 
and loves the idea for rethinking existing business models and engagement for the good of tomorrow. Sophie uses value creation, innovation and different approaches to shift mindsets. In her latest ventures, she uses the transformative power of play with organisations to bring to life customer focus and engage employees in sustainability and the circular economy. Sophie, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. Thanks for having me today. So it's great to almost be here together virtually in our um, no doubt hot rooms in, in the UK, exactly. hottest May on record. Yeah. And, uh, and going back to when the two of us met up last year at the RSA with my colleague Peter Desmond, we discovered a surprising connection. Your first introduction to the circular economy was through someone I've interviewed for the podcast. Yes, it is. And it's, uh, it's quite an unusual one in a sense where um, I actually went to Uganda to run a marathon. Um, and what happened is like prior to that, a few months before, I actually met um, a colleague where we were discussing about collaboration. Um, and he briefly mentioned that he wanted to move away from what he was doing to work more with uh, circular economy. Uh, companies and I just like I was wondering like, what is that so I had to ask <laughs> and then he said it and I was like oh that's quite an interesting concept and that's when I started looking into it a little bit more and then by chance a few months later so I went to the Uganda Marathon um, and I didn't just run the marathon but also helped in local community projects and this is where I met Andy Bans that you interviewed from EcoBricks um, and what happened there is like within Literally a couple of hours, I've seen the change happen in front of my eyes. So we went into a very, very, very small village uh, to build one of the EcoBricks wooden hut collection uh, points, basically. Um, and as some people were doing that, I just walked down the street giving out leaflets to the local people, explaining that they were collecting plastic, they could earn some money, and so on and so on. Um, and at that time, I had like a lot of kids running after me and just, you know, being curious about that piece of paper. Uh, and I sat down and told them exactly the same story. And then they ran away, just like nodding their heads and just went on. Um, and then I had like a massive goosebump moment when I just turned around and I saw all those kids had gone home and came back with massive bags and were basically clearing up the entire street from plastic. And within two hours, we literally had like a pile of plastic that was as tall as me that all those kids had brought back. We ran out of money and all of that. And that moment was really like that, wow, that is actually circular economy <laughs> in itself. Um, and the reason why I, I mentioned the story is because it totally shifted, you know, the way that I'm doing business now, uh, shifting from what I was doing like customer value proposition and so on, but working more with companies in the circular economy. Uh, it also brought to life a concept that was quite theoretical up until that point of time. And then I've seen it. And I also realized that in the right environment, a lot can change and the change can be really, really fast. Um, that was that point where I was like, actually, there is something really strong in circular economy. I want to do more. I want to help in transition. Uh, and then I shifted my work towards that and started, um, like, got introduced to you, actually, and started uh, running the Circular Economy Club in Reading. I took on different courses to learn so much more. Um, and I'm involved with um, the customer experience on that front. Um, so it's quite an unusual journey, but I quite like saying it because it shows that the shift can happen at any time to anyone, basically. Yeah, it's a fantastic story. And I think what's what's brilliant about EcoBricks and some of the other examples we've heard about on the podcast is they go beyond circular because they're creating transformation in communities and, and um, using the power of the circular economy to create value for 
um, social groups, underprivileged groups, or just you know people who don't have access to the kind of infrastructure that um, we take for granted sometimes in developed economies. So it's brilliant. <laughs> and I'm curious to know more about why organisations are working on sustainability and building a purpose beyond profit. What do you see as the forces for change um, and the barriers? So I think it's, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting um, question in itself. And my background has got nothing to do with sustainability in itself. Um, I really come from a commercial background. So like growth and looking at market opportunities and so on is really what I was doing. Um, and up until that Waha moment I had, sustainability was very much like a green initiative or CSR or, you know, ticking the boxes sizes. And I still think that in many cases, it is how it is perceived. I'm not saying this is why it is, but it's how it is perceived by many people within organizations. Um, and this is when I think like the circular economy, it just makes business sense. And in that case, because it makes business sense, it can push on, on growth basically, as well as protecting the planet and bringing the people together. I think this is for me where sustainability becomes more, like even more meaningful and you can engage more people around that. So in terms of some of the forces, yes, it's the meaning um, that there is. Uh, for me coming from a commercial background is that it boosts, the boosted literally all the commercial metrics. Um, because it looks at you know the retention aspect, it looks at the loyalty, it looks at how you can create new content to engage customers, to drive innovation. So it really, really makes a lot of business sense. And I think a lot of companies that want to stay ahead uh, think differently, reinvent some of the models that they are in that are becoming under, under pressure. I think all of those are really um, major, major forces. Now, when we talk about sustainability with companies and through co-create impact, we see that the, the why, why we need sustainability, why we need to focus on that is not the discussion anymore. The discussion is around the how. How do we make it happen? How do we make it relevant to our employees and to the wider um, community, our partners in the supply chain and so on, as well as uh, our employees? Um, so I think this is one of those. And when we look at the forces, from pure commercial background, it's a no-brainer. You know, I cannot imagine any commercial person saying, I don't see the opportunity in that. So I think that's really one of the force, uh, forces that is happening. And COVID has actually shown a lot of broken down things in our system and the way the organizations are, are working. So that's, I think those are really the, the main forces for me. Um, and then you've asked about some of the barriers. Um, and I was thinking about this one the other day, and I think I probably would flag Two, I would say one, but two, <laughs> actually. Um, so the first one is around um, the barrier of knowledge. And that's something that I see a lot in, in consumer communication as well. Two aspects. One, the, the commercial people and the people within the organization are not yet enough aware about what circular economy means, for example, and how that can help them achieve a more sustainable business model. So I think there is quite a fair bit that needs to be done there just to broaden the concept and make everyone aware about that. Uh, so it's a lack of knowledge that we need to bring to organization. Um, and the second one is almost the opposite. It's like when you're into it, the challenge is that it sounds so obvious uh, that maybe we explain it on a too high level or you know, too much in depth and so on, and we lose our customers into that. So it's really trying to break down our knowledge and go back to almost like a basic level uh, so that we can take people on the journey. Because ultimately, it is a journey uh, for everyone to go through. Uh, 
so sorry, um, just to make sure I heard that properly, for the second barrier, you, you think it sounds too complicated? Yeah, so for some people it is too complicated, and for our consumers as well, I think it is, because, you know, if we talk circular, what does circular mean to them? It doesn't mean anything. What we need to break down is actually break down that knowledge so that we can go back to need. How do we answer their needs? In yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I think if we could get circular into, you know, the general conversation, which the BBC certainly is is starting to do, you know, it's cropping up more in kind of um, uh, as a phrase in discussions about sustainable products and things like that. People are starting to hear it a little bit more. But I guess for us, it's probably different because it's on our radar. So we notice it, whereas um, many people, um, you know, probably don't. There's that thing, isn't there, about you only remember um, at most 10% of what you hear and see and and so on. So in terms of um, the typical insights from the customer experience and the SDGs game that you use from both a business perspective and from a citizen perspective, what kind of things strike people that are, you know, either good good observations or bad observations about how we live and work now? What do people take away from it? Yeah, I mean, just maybe... Again, back to that knowledge barrier, just to tell people what those games are, is we do through co-creating facts, is that we use play to engage employees in sustainability and the circular economy. Um, and again, there is a little of story. It always starts with a story, and that's another point for communication that we can cover later. Um, but when I was in a commercial world, I was trying to engage my customers in a different way, and I realized that gamification was something that was working quite well. Um, in the meantime, I had kids and I realized that actually their entire, entire learning process is through play. This is what they learn through. And it quite struck me that somehow in adulthood, we lose that because it's not serious enough or whatever that is. Um, but what the power of play has is that for very complex um, topics that we want to engage people on, it actually really breaks down and removes all of those barriers. So it isn't a presentation, it isn't factual. You actually get people to do something. You get them to, uh, it removes, it's, they get freedom basically. There is no constraint that can do anything. All the solutions are possible and so on. So this is really the framework of the reason why we're using game and play-based learning to engage people in sustainability. And then what we see is that there, there are two different angles from the businesses. It helps with the how, as I was mentioning earlier. They want to find new ideas, new tools, new ways to engage their customer, their employees, <laughs> the employees, the employees uh, on something that they might have not been interested in um, before. So there is a really um, powerful aspect on that side. Um, and you also, that's where I bring um, some of my customer experience uh, design tactics there. It breaks the script. If you want to engage employees on something, you would expect to have a presentation. It totally breaks that. Uh, and it gets them to what we call trip over the truth. So instead of telling them, we let them play and we let them do it. And a bit like my Waha moment that I was talking at the beginning, we actually orchestrate those moments. So some of the insight that we really get uh, from the, especially from the, the employees and the people playing it, is the fact that they realize that they can play a role and the ownership is with them and starts with them. So that's part that is quite it's just fascinating to see. <laughs> and the second part is how everything is really much interlinked. 
Um, and this one we see it a lot in the in the SDG game, where at the beginning everyone has got a goal that they need to achieve, a personal one, as well as reaching the three pillars from sustainability, so the economy, the, um, the people and the planet. And you can see halfway through, everyone's doing really well on their personal objective, but then the rest are not really equal or imbalanced. And then once they start having the realization moment, it's like, ha, actually, we need to work in collaboration. We need to work together. We need to communicate better. Yes, I need to achieve my goal, but is that more important than the overall one? And we can, and we really see a shift and people are like, ha, now I can do something. I can take action. And that's really, really the, the key insights is that people come out feeling they are empowered to do something mm. for the organization, but also in their first personal life. And that's the ripple effect that we really like. Because... Mm. <laughs> and I think there's lots of research, isn't there, on how being able to, to do things more creatively can spark better ideas and lead to more innovation, as in um, a, a wealth of ideas, as well as more adventurous and off-the-wall ideas. It helps organisation with the, you know, it's like, it's, it's a thing, but it's a lot of skills, business skills that you learn, it's like collaboration, communication, innovation, how do we all work together on different topics, the different constraints. So there are a lot of transferable skills that have been learned at the same time. As well. mm. And I guess play releases people from the usual um, organisational structure in a, in a different way, which can avoid then groupthink, which is, you know, even in brainstorming, groupthink can be a, an issue because people are constrained by waiting for the more senior person to say their idea first and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I think there's a, you know, there's a, a lot to take away from that in terms of play leading to more freedom and creating, creating experience then provides you with more ownership because it's your experience it's not somebody telling you how to do it you've created your own experience and you're kind of you know owning both the learnings and the and the ideas so yeah I think it's um it, it sounds intriguing and I'm keen to get involved and um you know do some kind of uh play exercise together at, at some point when we're out of our self-isolation phase yes it will be brilliant I see definitely a fantastic experience you can feel people are energized at the end um and then linking that to proper action plan it's like well now we've had all this insight what do we do now uh, and that totally that's something we can cover another day but that's what we call breaking the script and i think there is a massive massive potential with the circular economy breaking from the linear expectation that people have mm. both engagement but also communication with the customers yeah absolutely so from a sales and marketing perspective, what has to change to support a circular economy? For example, if I've switched to using recycled materials or to selling services instead of ownership or selling remanufactured or refurbished products, what kind of marketing messages should I be using and how does the customer experience change? So that's a, that's a, that's a very tricky question you're asking me, purely in a sense that... <laughs> I don't think there is one solution. <laughs> so that's, that's the reason why I'm saying that. Um, so I think it really is about looking at where we are at. Um, there's no one size fits all, uh, but something that I'm convinced about is that if we want customers to switch from linear solutions, as we, we call them, you know, <laughs> in between us, to circular solutions, um, I think experiences are absolutely critical. It needs to be 
as convenient, as easy, as on the go as the solution that they're used to. Purely because often when we talk sustainability and change that are better for the environment, we talk about suppression of things and people are not inspired by suppression. Um, so that's, that's, that's the first part is that in terms of what we deliver, we need to make sure that this is at least the same or even better. And I think we can there um, because of you know, what circular economy is all about. Uh, but if there are a few, I guess, principles I could pull out, um, I'll say the first one is, is another CX design uh, tactic, actually, but it's what, what we could call is a create a joint uh, identity. Because through the circular models, basically, is an innovative um, uh, process, is like creating new solutions, is about working together. And I think behind most circular businesses I know, there is a purpose behind and something that is very strong. Um, so I think we shouldn't be afraid about voicing that uh, and bring that purpose to life and communicating it to the customers and making sure that we create an identity that people can refer to. So actually when I buy that or when I use this service, that means something about me and I also believe in the company. So I think creating a brand story the brand story and the reason why we're here and communicating that I think is really, really important and probably the first one. Um, and there are some great examples. Everyone would have heard about Pactagonia, but they're doing a really good job in terms of pushing that brand aspect, but also making repair cool. It's like all the recrafted and the care and repair. So they're using words that are really uh, get the people close to it and can relate. Into mm. Sorry, what was the example that you gave? Patagonia. Oh, Patagonia. Yeah, yeah. My favorite. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite brand. One of the, yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, so there's that. And there's another one. It's actually a linear example, but I think we can learn about what they're doing is called is Naked Wine. Uh, and I guess it's probably a great example for me during COVID where <laughs> I've used them quite a bit. They've done that, I think, <laughs> is quite interesting. Is, um, is that instead of having a loyalty program, they've actually created, you become an angel from the brand. So you really, you get that identity. And what you do is that you give some, you, you put basically a subscription model. You put some money every month into an account and then you can use that for your wine. And what it does is actually it, um, it pushes investment into small vineyards that couldn't produce the wealth. So I think there is something really interesting in that in terms of how you push loyalty, you lock the customer, do you create an identity? And I think it's something that can be replicated to the circular economy model um, quite well. Yeah, actually. it kind of fits with uh, Seth Godin's thoughts on creating a, a, a tribe or a movement. And I guess it also fits well with some of the circular economy community inspire projects you know community interest companies and social enterprises and so on but it's it's all part of feeling like you're part of a movement for change and that if you're you know investing in the wine growers or investing in the local community or um doing like tom's shoes you know buy one give one that kind of thing then you feel like you're going even further than just making the the purchase itself that's exactly that. And I think it's a brilliant way to start engaging people basically on that. And actually it would lead me quite nicely to the second point, um, which is we, every customer and every person is at different stage in their journey, in their sustainability journey in general. So what we need is to make sure that we actually adapt to that language, to where they are at and take them on the journey. 
So I quite like for this one to refer to the, um, the circular economy butterfly, butterfly diagram, where you've got all the different loops. And what's interesting is that if we look at it from business perspective, we know that the smaller loops are the ones where you get the higher value, so the repair, the sharing, and so on. And the last one is actually the recycling one because the value is the smallest one. Now, we know from a business perspective that's that, and we want to try to keep the loops as small as we can. But if we look at it from a consumer perspective and where they are at today, the recycling one is probably the one that is more prominent today because they're aware of it, they, can, they feel that they can do something and so on. So maybe using, starting using um, from recycled materials and so on can start taking the, the customers in the journey with you and then walking backwards, if I can say, almost through those loops. Um, and there's there, there are a few, there really are quite a few customer experience concepts that we can use here. Where you've got like one that is called the customer journey mapping. So you're looking at the relationship that you've got and what are the steps that they're doing with your brands. And I quite like putting in parallel this one with those loops and where they are at today. And then starting slowly but surely drip feeding the information to make them more aware, educate them about what circular is without talking about circular models, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, and then pushing the information at the relevant time. So, for example, if we take um, like a, a repair, repair um, like a product that you want to repair and so on, when you buy it, you don't want to say, oh, we can do everything for you to repair because <laughs> you want to buy something that you know is going to last. But if you start being in that mindset at the later stage, it will be really important and relevant to make that experience as easy as you can, basically. Mm, yeah. Um, so, and drip-feeding that at the right time in the journey. So maybe when it's fair parts and so on, it's like, well, have you seen those guides that we've got? Mm. So, so useful I, and helpful in that sense. Yeah, and coming back to Patagonia, they, I think it was Patagonia with iFixit, did some research about publicizing the ease of repair because Patagonia have always repaired your, well, always, a couple of decades I think have repaired things that they made no matter how old they are and you could send them back to Patagonia and um, when they wanted to partner with iFixit to make it so that customers could also repair their own kit if they wanted to and to get iFixit to script all the repair processes and put those online they were worried that making a big thing about the repairability of the garments might put people off just as you said that it you know, does it imply that this is going to break, so here's how to fix it? But the research from the iFixit community was the opposite, or I don't think it was a community, it was a you know, general public, was the opposite, that they felt reassured that Patagonia were putting their brand behind this and saying, you know, this is repairable, you can do it yourself, or you can send it to us, parts are easy to get, etc., etc. So it kind of reinforced the quality of the, of the brand and the the promise that the brand is giving you that here's a really high quality, durable pro product that you're going to love um, and um, it's going to last for a long time. Yeah, and I think it's that. And it, it's also for me, there's a lot of around, you know, being through and the realities. Like when you buy something, you know that this product oh, is not going to be here forever. You know, I currently have a T-shirt, I've got a hold and I'm like, I need to repair that T-shirt. And this is actually in my box and I've started looking into it. And I think that's another very interesting point is like for the customers, like the first time they do something, whatever that is, but the first time is the biggest hurdle and helping them to achieve that and be successful and making it as easy as you can. If you can do that, then all of a the sudden 
it's like you start building that trust and it's like oh what else could you help me and so on and and that's where for me there is a very interesting part in that space around co-creating and using your customers to really drive that innovation and i think circular economy is brilliant for that because if you link it to tech as well you can get so much data that can really help the entire organization to be more innovative and so on um so there is um yeah there are so many examples here <laughs> probably not going to have time to cover them today um, but I think it's that, and the last point I, I really wanted to quickly mention on this aspect is then looking at creating messages that stick. So that means keeping it super simple, remove the jargon. No one, you know, consumer, they don't want to hear about circulars. They don't know what that is, but they've got the need. So uh, you've had Katie Briggs that was mentioning that I need, I want. Super simple. Everyone understands that. Um, there's another company called the Access Material um, Exchange, and they, they work on... Um, Manufacturing um, materials and so on. But what they do is instead of saying we've saved 50,000, I don't know, I'm saying using random number, but 50,000 liters of water in that process, they say we saved the equivalent of 80 Olympic swimming pools. Numbers are totally wrong. Don't, don't quote me on that. But they use metaphors and things that people can relate to that are super simple that in my day to day life. And I think this is how we can win people um, by pushing messages like that and taking them on that journey, working with them. Yeah, and excess materials exchange are coming up on a, on a podcast. Are they fantastic? Um, actually, it might it might have gone out before this one, so um, yeah, oh, cool. it was a really a really good. Pick podcast with Christian yeah I'm not gonna say anything but I fell in love with the way that they talked about it that's why I got in touch with them I'm like oh this is so good so I'll keep the suspense <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah and the um the TED talk is brilliant and there's a link to that yeah, in the in the show notes for that episode so what do you think are the key lessons for organizational change Sophie is it the impact on the process for the business or is it the effect on the employees customers suppliers and shareholders um you know what's what What's the biggest um, lever that you can pull? So, so for me, it's like there's a lot of different aspects. And if you collect organizations, like a linear organization, they will look at um, new opportunities to grow revenue, and they will look at ways to reduce risk and, and cost, basically. Um, so coming from that commercial background, for me, the biggest part is the commission aspect. And I think what's great about that, it is a massive enabler. And what you can do is that I think by having doing little steps, because it's quite complex, it can be very big, and we're talking about system, which is quite draining for companies, like, Ooh, where do I start? But if we can do little steps and start building on the momentum on those changes, I think this is where we've got the biggest chance to succeed. Um, so the, the like all the different ownership models, um, all the customer value that is being created, I think is the one that can enable short-term growth, um, that can really enable more within the organization. Um, and I guess just a couple of, another couple of thoughts on this one. Um, there is another concept that is called the customer success, and that's just a slight change of mindset to say, I'm not looking at my organization's success, but I'm looking at my customer success and how all the interactions that they've got with my company is enabling that. And I think that it's a slight shift, but it's quite a significant one. And I think if we couple that with a circular concept and so on and taking those people on the journey as I mentioned before I think this is something that can truly differentiate organization uh, and and get them to like grow even faster even bigger be more resilient and, and protect the planet at the same time and I think that's the beauty 
is that isn't one where it's not one or anymore, it's actually one that can be one and the other one. And that's, I think, where the biggest opportunity is. Yeah, fantastic. And I think, you know, the, the, the views on growth are interesting at the moment. And there's a lot to talk about degrowth and so on. And I know Patagonia struggled with that for a while that, you know, they were they were getting bigger. Was that even worse for the planet? And as long as the companies doing the right thing are growing at the expense of those doing the wrong thing, then that kind of seems to be a, a better way forward, doesn't it? Um, but obviously, you know, we can't grow forever with with the planet of finite resources and, and finite living systems. Sophie, you've been exploring the circular economy for a while now. Is there anybody that you'd recommend as a future guest for the podcast? Yeah, there is one company that I really like in terms because we're talking about marketing in the cities as well as what they're doing is a Toast Ale. Um, yeah, so I really, I really like them for a number of different reasons. One, they used uh, waste bread um, from supermarkets to make their beer. I love the marketing that they've done around this, like raise a toast. It's just like the double meaning, but it's super simple. People, you know, it's fun. People can relate to it. Um, and back to that customer success aspect that I was mentioning about, uh, I think they've done something really cool during COVID at the beginning where they're like, everyone was going, teams were going remote and people were looking, oh, how can I engage my team? Or I've never done that before, blah, blah, blah. Um, and what they've done is actually they've raised their hand on saying, actually, send them a case of ale and at 5 p.m. on Friday or whenever that is, just all raise it close to it. And I love, again, they were like looking at some of the issues that were there and they were there for their customers. And from a business perspective, they knew that their volume is going to be massively impacted because of the supermarket and they find them as a route. So I think they're very innovative, uh, reactive, and innovative and reactive as well as proactive. And their model is quite interesting. Um, so, yeah, I'll probably say them. Um, yes, I've got so many others. <laughs> yeah, Toastale's a great example. And that's that was created by the founder of Feedback Global. Um, mm -hmm. And Lucy Antal from Feedback Global was one of the early guests on the podcast talking about some of the initiatives they have to prevent food waste and, uh, and getting into the system. She was, a, she was a, a brilliant guest. It was a really enjoyable episode. Sophie, how can people follow up on our conversation today and find out more about you and what you do? Yeah, so I think uh, probably because I do wear a few hats, as you say, so I guess probably the easiest place to find me is on LinkedIn, um, Sophie Seeger. Um, and then if you can maybe put to the cocreateimpact.com uh, website where we engage employees uh, through play, as well as together Dragonfly, where we do more of the, um, the customer experience um, and customer value proposition, basically, and, and help companies developing that. Yeah, we'll put all the link in the show notes. To find Sophie on LinkedIn, it's S-O-P-H-I-E and Siegel is S-E-G-A-L. So it's much easier than with the French accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry about that. It's definitely a North Yorkshire accent um, trying to pronounce <laughs> a French name. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Sophie. I've really enjoyed today's conversation. I think there were a lot of points we could have explored in more detail and hopefully we get to meet up face to face before too long and start to explore some of that um, you know see where it takes us yeah fantastic thanks Catherine it was lovely to be with you today <laughs> I picked up some great takeaways from that conversation with Sophie firstly I'm fascinated by the power of play 
and how moving away from our usual format of meetings, brainstorming, presentations, etc., and going back to the way we learnt as children can help us see things with fresh eyes. By discovering and experimenting, we can unlock creativity, come up with brilliant ideas, avoid groupthink, and also, as Sophie said, it helps us to own the change. Sophie feels companies are now seeing the circular economy through a commercial lens as a new way to engage customers and providing opportunities to create new services and revenue, to recover value that's being lost or to enter new markets. As Sophie said, these days the question that organisations ask about sustainability isn't why, it's how. It's important to be clear about your purpose and values to help customers understand why your business does what it does. You need to describe this from the perspective of the customer's success, not the perspective of your business. Sophie talked about the importance of communications and starting from where your customer is on the journey. For example, lots of people are most aware of recycling as something they can do to make a better, more sustainable world. If you try to start the conversation off with, say, remanufacturing and why that's better than recycling, you might just switch them off. I'm looking forward to working with Sophie as we get our circular coaching programmes up and running. Drop us a line at hello at rethinkglobal.info if you'd like to find out more. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. You can get in touch via the website, rethinkglobal.info, or send us a tweet, at rethink underscore global. Please let us know what you think of the podcast, and you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time. Bye.